Welcome to On The Brink, a fresh lens to take you and your business to new heights. Hi, I'm Andy Simon, and I love to do podcasts to bring you interesting, important people to help you see, feel, and think in new ways. As you know, your brain hates to change. And so my job is to get you off the brink and begin to see opportunities, ideas, instructional, informational, inspirational ways to begin to think about yourself differently and to do it as well. So today I have an absolutely wonderful woman with me. And Vicki Baker has been very kind. Over the years, she's invited me to do remote classes for Albion University, Albion College. And uh, she'll tell you more about the the college and what she does there. But I've talked there several, many times now on Blue Ocean Strategy to her students. It reminds me of what it was like when I was an academic, and I was. I spent 10 years as an academy person. I was an assistant professor, head of a department, making all those meetings and doing all kinds of things before I got into business. But the interesting part is what Vicky is doing to help others, particularly women, perceive and pursue their careers in a university or academic environment and why that's so hard. So a little bit about Vicki, and then she'll tell you about herself. Vicki Baker, Dr. Vicki Baker, is recognized as a top 100 visionary in education by the Global Forum for Education and Learning. She's at the forefront of innovation and strategy in faculty and leadership development. And when you hear her talk, you'll know why. And what's interesting is she and I both went to Penn State as a faculty member herself and Fulbright specialist alumna from the Utrecht in the Netherlands, which is a fabulous place to go. And uh, her goal is to help faculty members and colleges and universities thrive. She earned her PhD in higher ed and her MS in management organization from Penn State. And I was an undergraduate there. So who knew that our paths had crossed because she works in Michigan now, and I work in New York. Um, but it's real important because she also hosts a certificate in human resource management from Villanova and is a certified professional in HR from the Society for Human Resource Management. At Albion, she's the Aris, um, E. Maynard Aris Endowed Professor in Economics and Management, Faculty Director of the Albion College Community Collaborative, Co-Chair of the Economics and Management Department. Remember those meetings I mentioned when I was at the university? She spends her life in meetings, and I did too. But she's also the author of 90 peer-reviewed articles, invited works, chapters, and books, all kinds of books. I'll give you a sense of her books. She's developing faculty in liberal arts colleges, success after tenure, supporting mid-career faculty, charting your path to full, and I have a hunch that's to full professorship, and all kinds of interesting stuff. So Vicki, I'm so glad you're with me today. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. And I'm glad to be able to interact with you in this way. I've been so appreciative over the years of you joining us at Albion and supporting my students on Blue Ocean Strategy and how to carve their own path. So it's nice to be able to interact with you in this way. Tell the listener about your story. You clearly have have wandered on a journey that's been fulfilling for you. I remember in the academic world, part of the growth is our own personal growth as well as the professional one. Um, who's Vicki Baker and what's your journey been like? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think I, that answer probably changes every day, right? If you asked me that question two years ago versus two years from now, it would probably look different. But in this very moment, I'm a proud mother of two children. I think that identity is is on the forefront. My son is soon to be eight. My daughter is nine, so they're 19 months apart. And I actually started my life not thinking I would be in, in education of any kind. My mom was a teacher, kindergarten teacher for 35 years. My dad was a teacher. 
My grandfather, my mom's dad, was the superintendent of the school district we went to. My mom's sister was a teacher. My mom's brother was a teacher, became a principal. And I literally vowed I would never be a teacher. And so my undergrad degree is actually in engineering. And when I graduated from college, I moved to Ashland, Kentucky and was an engineer in a steel mill. Um, And I really enjoyed doing that. But then I also realized I didn't want to be a 55-year-old woman wearing steel toe boots and a hard hat to work. That's really good. Uh, But I learned some critical lessons about relationships and communication and, and building those that that is a core foundation. And then, you know, got my MBA. And from there, I moved to, to Boston and worked at Harvard Business School and executive education. Talk about a juxtaposition. We're working with Fortune 500 level executives here. And then I was working with generations of families in a steel mill. And again, there were some core lessons about humans, right, that I could take with it. But it was funny, the comparisons and the types of conversations I had in those environments. And I really remember being in awe of watching some of these faculty walk in the room and do their thing, right? There's a reason they have the reputations that they do. And so I was working on a second master's degree there, and it was my faculty member there that said, just go get your PhD. I really liked business, and I liked higher education, and knew I would marry those two areas. I just didn't know in what form or what ways. And she had recommended I apply for my PhD either at Penn State or Michigan for the program because they were the top two in the country. And I'm from Pennsylvania, so I thought, I'll try Penn State if I get in great. If not, then I'll stay here. And and probably not surprisingly, the assistantship that I got put on was looking at learning outcomes for engineering education. So the background, the background came into play. And a year after being there, I got an email two weeks before the fall semester started from the chair of the management department and said, rumor has it you have your MBA and rumor has it you used to work at Harvard Business School and exec ed. And I said, both of those rumors are true. And he said, would you be willing to meet with me? And I said, sure. And had a meeting and he said, would you be willing to teach for us? And the class starts in two weeks. There's no book. There's no syllabus. And we just need you to get fives and aboves on your teaching evaluation. The max was seven. He goes, and I don't need to have a conversation with you. And that's, <laughs> and that's where the teaching started, right? I would mentor anybody now. Don't say yes to that. There's like no support and you're being set up to fail in some sense. But I was young and naive and didn't know any better and wanted the experience. And I fell in love with teaching. And that's when I knew I, I would end up doing it. But it was so funny because I swore I would never go down that path. And I guess it's just in my blood and and I've just been committed to fundamentally helping people advance in their careers. What are people passionate about and how can I help them find whatever that thing is and help them work towards it? So that's how I got to this point in the books and the work that I do. But, you know, as I look at your um, your classroom and the folks, I really like doing it virtually this time because I could see their faces. They were great. And they were all women this time, which was sort of interesting. Um, but but you aren't um, pedantic or um, informative. You're inspiring and enabling. And I hear your interactions with them. It, the teaching you're doing is encouraging them to life's experiences and to pulling it together for their own stories to develop. And, and I my hunch is that you developed your own style that reflects that engineering and the Harvard, the awareness of humans. I mean, this is, uh, you know, when you think about it, you had Penn State, you had, I mean, I have a Kentucky client that's a whole different world. I'm an anthropologist. I'm observing a lot of that. And then Harvard, which is a whole other world. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you think about stepping back and figuring out what can I contribute to this world that we're in? But now, so the topic that we want to talk about today is helping women in their career advancement. 
Because yours is hardly a path that others could easily follow, could they? Yeah, no, it's definitely... I mean, I, I am the probably poster child for a liberal arts experience, right? Even though I'm not a product of a liberal arts college, but that, you know, maybe where you start is not necessarily where you finish. It's about the knowledge gained, the experiences, the relationship building that help propel you along that path. So I'm a good poster child for that. But yes, it's not been, it's not what I thought I would do. Honestly, again, I vowed I would never be in this space, but now I can't imagine being anywhere other than this space. And as you know, it definitely affords you opportunities to engage with the bright young men and women that you get to see, you know, that when you join us. And it's provided me a really unique vantage point where I can do the consulting work with academics, particularly women academics, who are trying to answer that what's next question, right? That mid-career of yep. mid-career in work, mid-career in life. I've got responsibilities at home and, and personal considerations that matter, right? And especially highlighted from the pandemic where People are making clear choices about their values and, and what matters and what doesn't. And so I've been very fortunate to be able to have that experience, but to also get, you know, the unique vantage point with everybody. But yes, it's not a it's not a path that somebody would would say, yes, that there's a clear cut direction and I can go that route. Or they can say, be open to opportunities and let the serendipity become part of your life. Enjoy it. Embrace it. Some will work and some won't. I mean, who would have thought that your course at Penn State was at Penn State would have been the right one? Um, but now that you're counseling other women, you know, and I have my book out, Rethink Smashing the Myths of Women in Business, so we can compare a lot of notes. But there isn't a woman I know who has a simple, easy trip to wherever they're going. And it's a different trip than the men. The men who I coach have different concerns and issues. But the women also are tackling all kinds of other societal um I won't call them hurdles or glass ceilings or anything else. They're just that society and mm -hmm. themselves. And I, I have a hunch when you coach them or listen to them and write your stuff on them, there's some things that keep popping out. So, you know, share with our listeners, you know, three or four major issues that arise when a woman is looking at what's next. Yeah, that's a really important question. And, and a theme that seems to surface consistently with the women academics that I coach. And again, right. These are bright women. You know, you've pursued, you know what it takes to get to that level. There's a, a level of grit, determination, discipline, intelligence, sacrifice to get there. So this, you know, they didn't get to this point of what's next without putting a lot of work into it. And yet the number one, one of the top one or two issues that always come up is I'm not sure if I'm ready, right? They're often coming to me as they're thinking about advancing in their career. So the first question is, do I have an interest in advancing from associate to full? And I have found some people opt out of that, men and women, for a variety of very valid reasons. You also know you left the academy for, for various yes. reasons, right? So, so I don't make the assumption that everybody wants to advance. I make the assumption people want to feel fulfilled in their career. So how do we make that happen? But for those who have advancement on the radar... There's always that question of, do I even want to do it, right? I've sacrificed so much as a PhD student, as an early career faculty member to get tenure. Often with women, I hear I've sacrificed so much already. I don't know if I'm interested in doing that anymore. I've had one woman tell me my marriage took such a hit. I don't know if it could withstand me going to full professorship. Some say, you know, I, I might consider it once my children are in school, right? I've got to postpone it. So there's the first question of, do I even have an interest? And if there is even a remote interest, the next question or issue I hear is, I don't know if I'm ready. 
<laughs> right? And then my response is, well, what's causing you to wonder if you're ready? Is somebody having an explicit conversation with you? Or is this your own feeling of inadequacy or, you know, that you just are placing these invisible um unrealistic expectations on you, right? Like what does the faculty handbook say at your institution? And if you're meaning that, why would you still think that you're not ready? So I do think back to your point, Andy, those societal cultural cues, right? That that are, you know, either very explicit where we do see those systemic barriers in business and in higher education, but also those kind of invisible ones that are those societal expectations about wait your turn. Maybe you're not ready to go up yet. And so Oftentimes, it's not an explicit conversation that this woman has had, but there's enough of those societal or institutional cues that are just causing them to hesitate. And some of it is also a lack of self-confidence or feelings of self-worth that they're not worthy or ready yet. So I spend a lot of my time trying to tease that out with them and then also help them overcome it and put some solid strategies in place that help them feel more ready and comfortable moving forward. What's interesting, Vicki, is as I'm listening to you, I'm writing my next book on 100 uh, trailblazing women and the wisdom they can share. And one woman who I interviewed said very explicitly that you ought to surround yourself with a team who support you because when you have that doubt, they will help you see your future. Uh, and the second thing is raise your hand. You know, why, why, and this is for women in business, it's equally for women in any field, the resistance or reluctance to feel they are ready for, mm -hmm. they are appropriate to, if, if they want me, they'll come and find me, you're making it difficult. Um, because what they're looking for is someone who wants to lead and a leader doesn't wait to be called upon. Mm -hmm. um, now, it may be the wrong time. You may not get it. It may hurt a little bit because you push yourself out there and it didn't happen. Could be all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. You know, on the other hand, if not you, then who? And if not now, then when? And how will you ever get past the hurdles that are keeping you back? Um, some of the other things that you advise these women, because I have a hunch our listeners might all be asking themselves as I come out of the pandemic, what is next? Some things. Yeah, so we do some just activities, right? And and I'm a big fan of, and I did this myself with the pandemic, just what matters to me and why? Uh -huh. What do I want my contribution to be, right? And so that serves as a really good litmus test with me. So whenever I'm sitting down with clients and I say, let's remove that we're going up for full or I'm going to be department chair, whether I want to be or I'm next up in the rotation, right? We all know how that works. Yep. Put that stuff aside. But right now, when all is said and done, at the end of the day, what do you want to be known for? What do you want to contribute? Where do you find the most joy? Yep. Life is too short. And so we start trying to kind of tease that out. And then we kind of put that contribution statement together. Again, I've worked on mine for about five years. And I tell clients individually or in a workshop, this looks really clean and neat, but it took me five years to get there, right? So don't hold yourself to that standard. But for me, when I think about what I find the most pleasure in, where I think I have the greatest value add and where I feel the most joyful is when I get to work one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's my students, whether it's clients, whether it's in workshops, helping people advance in their career, whatever advancement looks like for them. Not me putting a, you should want to go up for full, right? Again, what does advancement look like to you? And that advancement could be personal advancement, professional advancement, just life in general, but for me, it's really distilled down to helping people advance in their careers. That's my contribution. And that's where I think I, I can provide a value add. So helping people take a step back, recalibrate, 
let's reassess those values and priorities. And really at the end of the day, what do we want our contribution to be? And that helps guide us in, right? We always hear that advice of learn to say no. And I think that's important, but at mid-career, I think it's much more about being strategic about what we say yes to. But how do we know what we want to say yes to if we aren't clear what we want our contribution to be? And your yeses should be in service to that contribution, right? And then once your dance card is full with the yeses, then it becomes easier to say no. But saying no just for the sake of saying no isn't advancing you personally or professionally. So I really think at mid-career, it's much more important to really get clear on what are those values, those priorities, what do I want my contribution to be, and how can I use that contribution to guide me towards what I want to say yes to. And you highlighted a really important point, right? Mentors, how can you leverage your mentors if you don't know what support you're seeking from those mentors, right? And so I tell women all the time, once you have a better clarity on that contribution, have conversations with your mentors, have conversations with the department chair, dean, a supervisor at work, how can they advocate for you if they don't know the direction you want to be heading, right? They cannot read your mind. And so getting clarity around those things and having those critical conversations with people who can advocate for you and help support you is really important. And now a word from our sponsors, Simon Associates Management Consultants. That's us. And we're here to help you see, feel, and think in new ways. Whether you are an organization that's stuck or stalled or an individual in that organization, who's looking to rethink their own life's journey. Simon Associates has designed programs and processes to help you do just that. Our first book, On the Brink, A Fresh Lens to Take Your Business to New Heights, told the stories of seven clients who were stuck or stalled and a little anthropology helped them see things through a fresh lens, reignite their growth, and soar again. My new book that came out in January 2021 is called Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business. It's all about how 11 women, including myself, were able to see past the hurdles, the glass ceilings, and the brick walls and become the best that they could be. They heard things like women aren't lawyers and women can't lead and women aren't in geosciences. And they said, of course we are. And they really pushed through and did it with such ease that they want other women to see what's possible. At the end of the book, I provide a bit of a how-to process for you. If you're on the brink of rethinking your own life's journey, it's time to pause, step back, and ask yourself, where am I going? What's my passion and my purpose? And am I there or can I get there? Send us your emails to info at andysimon.com and we'll get right back to you to see how we can help. On andysimon.com are some free chapters for both books. And you can also join our newsletter and our Facebook group, Rethink with Andy Simon. We are bringing together women to help other women do what they can't do by themselves, very often to see what's possible and become the best that they can be. Come join us. And now back to our podcast. The the things that you're talking about are important for the listener or the viewer to reflect on for themselves. And I urge you to get a piece of paper and write down one of the exercises we do is over the last year, 10 things that really matter to you in a positive way and 10 things that didn't. And then shrink those down to five or to three and one and begin to focus on what really matters. My daughter gave me a great quote a couple of years ago. I keep it on a post-it. In the course of a lifetime, what really matters? Mm-hmm. And, and at the time, you know, when, you know, you've been in different roles in different places. And at those moments, those times mattered. But in the course of a lifetime, where is it going? And you could say, I'm not going anywhere, or I'm not sure where I want to go, or I really know where I want to go. But it's a good time to see what makes you high 
and what makes you low and what you want to do more of and less of. But there are processes to help you think about that. You and I both have tools that we use mm-hmm. because when I do it with someone, they went, oh, I said, yeah. And, 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 and the only way you can sort out those things, take a year and see what makes you high and low. In the absence of that, you're going to shotgun it and you're going to land someplace or not. You may not go anywhere, but not with the intentionality that you really need to carve your own life. And the other thing I would say is don't let people define you. You have to take charge of your own, who you are. People may say it's your brand, but who are you, right? And do you find the women come in with a clarity of their brand and who they are and the answer to the question, why me? Or are they struggling to figure out that question? They're struggling because sometimes, you know, the notion of brand makes sense for us because we're in business. We get it, right? But I, I recognize when I use that language in some disciplines and settings, like, oh, brand, right? That sounds a little too, we're, you know, capitalistic or we're putting some business terms on it that, you know, this is about education. I go, yeah, but it's still, again, what is your contribution? What is your value add? What do you bring to the table of brand? But at the end of the day, don't you want to be known for something in your discipline at your institution among your students? You want to be known as the person who knows X or does X or is really exemplary in, in A, B, and C areas. So I said, if brand feels too much of a business term for you, fine, but you still are thinking thoughtfully about Who am I in the context of my field, in my discipline? What are you known for? What is your subject matter expertise? And so helping them to really clarify that. And again, at mid-career, we're triggered, right? Because it's an evolution. And we now also, having tenure, are allowed to take some risks now, right? We are able to maybe step outside of what we have been known for from a disciplinary perspective to get to tenure, But now maybe we do want to pursue more interdisciplinary work or community engaged scholarship or things that take us down different pathways. And and that can be overwhelming and freeing at the same time. Right. And so you feel like you've got this great opportunity and you don't know what to do with it. And so trying to think about, well, what are those fundamental building blocks that help us to be able to to advance from that? But I definitely see them think about that all the time. I I don't even, or I don't know who I am right now, or I know I'm this person to this person and I'm this role to this person. And I go, are those the ones that you want them to be? Do you want to change them? Do you want them to evolve? Right. A line I always repeat is we evolve over time. Make sure your actions are honoring that evolution, right? That's really important. Leave the space and grace to allow that evolution to happen and to honor it via your engagements or how you craft your own. I really appreciate you. I tell own your narrative. Yes. If you don't own it, somebody else will craft that narrative for you. And that's likely not going to be in your favor. You need to own your narrative and craft it the way you want it to appear. And I emphasize that both in business and for others. I mean, I was a visiting professor for a semester at Washington University teaching entrepreneurship. I said, you live your story. So Mm -hmm. what is your story? Your mind wants to know because it'll do exactly what it thinks you want it to do. And once you understand some of the neuroscience behind it, your mind is really looking for your, you know, what is it you want to do? Because it will wander around doing whatever it thinks you want it to do. It'll make you happy or sad, but your mind wants to know. And and until you craft that movie set in there or that storyline, that narrative, um, it becomes difficult for you to live every day. Mm-hmm. And because you live your story and until you land on it and, and see it coming every day becomes another challenge. Is this going the right direction? And you become happy with the tasks to be done as opposed to the path that you're on. Yeah. 
right? Absolutely. And I appreciate the deliberateness, intentionality, being strategic, right? And again, not that that's not important at all career stages, but I particularly work with mid-career women. And I know a lot of women that you've worked with in business are mid-career. It's such a it's such a long stage of, of career and life and so many ebbs and flows. And you could be child care as well as elder care. I mean, there's so many different hats that we have. And again, societal expectations connected to those make it challenging for women to navigate. But I think if we can focus less on those external expectations and think about taking control of that narrative and how we want to chart our path and craft that story, that becomes much more empowering. And again, leads to the put your hand up again, have those critical conversations about, you know, here's the five things I narrowed down on my list, or here's what I want my contribution to be. Unless you're communicating that regularly with key people, how are they expected to advocate for you or to highlight those opportunities that might be aligned with your strengths if if they don't know that's on the table either? Well, and it is interesting because you made a good point. Um, It isn't just academics. You have no idea how many women I coach, I'm an executive coach, um, who have the, the kind of story that makes you wonder. Something like, well, I've made it as far as I'm going to at XYZ, Morgan Stanley, wherever it was. And and I'm pretty good at what I do, but I have no idea where I'm going. Mm-hmm. And and they're making good income so that the income level isn't bad and they don't see what they don't really know who they are at this point. Mm-hmm. And that lack of knowing who I am and what I want to do uh, uh, troubles me as I work with them because uh, there's nobody holding you back but you. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that mirror is looking back at you and saying, who are you and what do you want to do? And then I have um, somebody who I I love to coach and and she's learning that her after work activities have become more fulfilling than her work ones. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's okay. You can have a a side hustle of some kind or not for profit or whatever gives you pleasure without necessarily turning to that as your income stream. There are ways of balancing your life. But you have to decide. Nobody's going to decide for you. And if you let them, you're going to have some real painful moments, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And even for me, right, my home base is Albion College, and I'm a professor here, right? But I have the great opportunity to do the consulting work I do in the coaching. And that allows me, all right, because nobody loves their job 100% of the time. And there's challenges, right? Challenges with leadership, challenges with direction and vision and all of those things. And And it can get overwhelming and exhausting at times. And so when I find myself maybe being in a space where I feel less energized by my work at Albion, I've got these opportunities to meet and support these other women and work with these other institutional leaders. And then it also gives you, and you probably experience this too, right? You realize the grass isn't always greener on the other side of the fence. And sometimes you're hearing of other institutional policies and practices that are even more prohibitive to women advancing in their career. So then I can come back at Albion and go, hey, it is way worse. So and so, let us not complain anymore about this issue. Yes, there's room to improve, but it can always be worse and it can always be better, right? So I'm very uh, appreciative that I am in this position that I have the benefit and the stability of a home base while also having this great opportunity to engage across the academy and with such diverse faculty that it really does keep you grounded and centered of, of again, what matters. And these are all humans, right? These are all humans at the end of the day who just want to feel fulfilled and want to feel like they matter and want to feel like they're making a difference. And that's really fundamentally what it comes down to. I have a 
Uh, one question for you, and then we'll probably go to a wrap up, but, but I'm watching and working with companies where the words diversity, equity, inclusion have become top of mind. Um, Suba Barry had, Sarah Mont has a great research that 80% of the companies said DE and I matters, but only 30% are doing something. Mm-hmm. As you're thinking about the universities, the colleges, and the academic world, um, are there are there efforts going on to change the attitude towards making it easier for? Because one of the things I saw in the university world was that the leadership were all men and the women were all the worker bees. Mm-hmm. And I have a friend who's in the staffing industry, and he's lamenting the fact that all the managers of all the offices are men and all the women are doing the recruiting. So we've just moved ourselves into another um, blue collar worker bee place and we're not running them the sewing machines, um, but we're doing all the teaching, but not the leadership. Are you seeing universities beginning to rise to the occasion or run away from it or anything that you were out there seeing or nothing much? We're seeing conversations and efforts and something that I'm noticing that is at least becoming highlighted and this is the HR background, right? And, and I've had these conversations. Right. There's obviously that disparate treatment, that very obvious over systemic racism against women, against faculty of color. Right. And so institutions are doing a better job to say that it's eliminated would be a disservice. That's not accurate. But we're moving the needle there where we still are lagging behind is that disparate treatment. Right. The well-intentioned policies that we put in place that we think are moving the needle for populations when we really ask the right questions and collect the right data. Ooh, maybe we're not moving the needle like we thought, you know, like during COVID, giving women faculty an opportunity to delay tenure clocks. Well, on the surface, that seemed right. Good intention, well-meaning, but you're only causing longer periods for women to be at that rank. And we found that it's benefiting men more because they were able to use that time to advance scholarship versus women use that time for child care and elder care. Right. And so, again, on the surface, well-intentioned. In reality, it created even more of a disparate impact of these policies. So, and I think we see that in industry too, but that, again, we're working hard to try to minimize those very overt disparate treatment, but we're still not, we're not asking all the right questions on that disparate impact when we're really looking at which are the populations we care most about and how can we better support them. And the supports in place, are they really doing what we intended them to do? Yep. And and taking us back to our beginning, when we were going to talk about career advancement for mid-level folks of any kind everywhere, uh, this has become a passion of yours. Um, And and you write about it. You're deeply involved in coaching. Um, What do you see coming next for you? You know, that's a great question. I, I think I'll still focus on mid-career. If you were to look at my my scholarly agenda, the trajectory follows my, my career pathway, right? As a doc student, I studied doctoral student experiences. Then as an early career faculty member, I studied that. And then once I hit tenure and mid-career and full professor, even though I'm still very much mid-career, I wanted to understand what, what do we need, right? I needed support and I thought I'm not alone. So the next thing for me that I think I want to look at are, and it's focused again in the academy, but I think we also see this in industry. There's a huge population of uh, contingent faculty, right? Non-tenure track, and there's an increase in reliance. Those faculty, there's a significant portion who are also mid-career. So right, that intersectionality of appointment type and career stage, coupled with gender, right? We see more women in contingent positions. We see more faculty of color and women faculty of color in those contingent positions. And so, you know, they're important 
they're important pieces to institutions. And yet I think they're being underserved and undervalued. And so I really want to look at bringing those two, that intersectional lens to those two issues, because they're the two largest populations in the academy, contingent faculty and mid-career. Well, guess what? You have mid-career faculty who are contingent faculty. And right in industry, there are temporary work, right? Maybe not full-time fast track, but they are critical and they provide critical leadership, critical services to organizations. And how are we supporting them so that we are building that bench strength, that we are putting them in a position to be the fulfilled contributors that we want to be, even if they're not seeking to be a C-level suite person, right? So I think that's what's next for me. Your point, we have work to do. Yeah. Because the, the the way our society has enabled um, industry as well as the academy to grow is and not necessarily with equity and inclusion, as opposed to, um, you know, the gig economy was a third of our workforce before the pandemic. I have no idea what it is now, but 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 I'm watching as people are making choices. They're putting the responsibility on themselves, but the, the the institutions have to wake up to the fact that they have to change to begin to be, provide a better place or even not going to the institutions. I mean, college enrollments are struggling because the number of kids graduating from high school is not in the rise, but in many places decline. Mm-hmm. So what's our purpose and how do we help that mid-level diverse workforce you know, expand and use us. What's our role? Mm-hmm. Big questions. Um, one or two things you want our listeners not to forget. It's about time to wrap up. Yep, absolutely. So I think really take that step back and think about those values, priorities, that contribution. I think that becomes that foundation that we build on. And number two, control your narrative, right? This is your opportunity to really craft that. And what do you want to be known for? And you take control of that. I think that's so important for any listener, male or female, but particularly women who are at that mid-career stage and trying to grapple with the what's next. Don't overcomplicate it. Put those building blocks in place and and, and work through it. So that's what I would want the listeners and the watchers to watch. And, well, and, and I, I don't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. I You're two great ones. Um, you know, your mind wants to know exactly what you want it to do. Understand that and begin to craft a story that that narrative helps you live every day going someplace. Mm-hmm. And don't forget Oprah and her small wins. Steps yeah. at a time because you can't move a battleship with an oar, but make sure you know where you're going. Or every mm-hmm. day you'll just wander around and you'll wonder, did I move forward or did yeah. I just get through the day? And I know people love to live in the moment, but, you know, when you're in a career, life is a career, you know, how do you move it? I've been so fortunate to know Vicki Baker and the Michigan College Alliance, I thank for mm-hmm. the introduction. And it's just been fun working with her classes, even remotely. It's great. One day we may do it in person and I don't know what will happen. Will it be good or not good? But for my listeners and my viewers, thank you for coming. Remember, I told you you've accelerated us into the top 5% of global podcasts. It's truly an honor. You send me great ideas for people who we should have. And I think that the more we engage and co-create the podcast experience, the more you're going to find it worthwhile. I have people who contact us from across the world, just loved your podcast with fill in the name. And who knew? But I do know that our job is to help you see, feel, and think in new ways. And that's what we do. We do that as a consultant. Our business is over 20 years old now. And that's how we help our clients see things through a fresh lens. Our two books, On the Brink, A Fresh Lens to Take Your Business to New Heights, of which this is named after, and Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business, are all at Amazon and waiting for you. 
And both have won awards. Um, it's interesting. Book writing is interesting. My third one's coming, and it should be out by the fall of 2023. I'm not going to tell you the name, but I'm very excited about it. And then who knows what's next on my career path? Will I be mid career, or I don't think I'm ever going to peak? And somebody yeah. said to me, When are you going to retire? I said, Oh, I did that 30 years ago. Um, <laughs> I've yet to figure out what that all means other than life's a journey and let's enjoy the trip. Thanks, Vicki. Thanks for talking today. Thanks, Andy. I appreciate it. Bye-bye now.